So uh, our next song up is uh, Digital Bitch. And this is not written about my ex. I hadn't met her yet. <laughs> and, and I don't think he had either. I don't know. There has to be some kind of story behind this. This has to have been written about something specific or someone specific. I have to think. Yeah, I mean, knowing knowing Gillen, the the you know he he must he must have uh, he must have been on a computer and I don't know. <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. It's like who who knows where he gets his stories from? But you know, it had to have been, it had to have been an experience or something that he put together because I always thought it was a really cool title it was an interesting title especially for that period mm-hmm. i'm surprised so. that they let that title go here in the united states because we're you know especially back in that time like everything was so censored we had the pmrc was was pretty well uh, established by then and uh it, I, i'm kind of yeah. surprised that they let that go and didn't like you know put an asterisk or something in there yeah, they're just like digital young lady. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> aggressive, aggressive young female. <laughs> but it's it's a good but, song. I, I, I think this is one where I would say I would like to hear a remix of this song because those guitar frequencies at the beginning, uh, this goes back yeah. to what you were talking about before, was where there are some points on the album where they are a little bit ear piercing. I think this would be an example of that. Like I, I think it's a great solo for an opener. But I think I would enjoy it more if it was EQ'd a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Like this, I feel like this song is like it's good, but it could be it could be better. It could be heavier. It's just like the especially the way the guitar riffs like starts off. Like it sounds like it would be a good riff, but it feels like there's something missing in there. And you know what I mean? It's like it it feels like it's it could be heavier. And then when the band kicks in, and then that that really just kind of like. Like you said, that just really screechy high frequency solo comes in and Tony's guitars are just too, too fuzzy, like, and not, not in a good way. Um, you know, just like ear piercing is the best way to put it. It's because there are some solos and some guitar tones on this album where it's just like, man, I can't, I can't listen to it. So I, I hear it as like a song, like I know it's a, I know it's a good song, but I'd love to hear it recorded better or remixed better than what it is. Yeah, and it's a shame because you know that the performance and the writing is there. It's just the presentation in some of those parts that are a little bit difficult to to listen to. And it's it's the same reason why I've said so many times I hate the flute because the flute plays in those same frequency ranges. And unless it's EQ'd very well, it's just going to pierce through my ear. And I, I hate that. I'm an audio guy. You know, I, I, I like sounds that are pleasant. You could throw a lot of stuff at me and I'll find it acceptable. But there are certain frequencies on certain instruments that just do not work. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good song though. It's, it's a really, it's a aggressive vocal delivery from Ian. You know, he's, he sings with such passion on this song. Like he really hates this person <laughs> or wants to fix her or he, he's just got, she's just got him all riled up. It's, it's a and very I mean, passionate let, vocal. And let's not forget about the screams coming out of the guitar solo. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's true. like, that's the, like, that's, that's probably my favorite part of the song. That's why I listened to it to begin with. Cause I'm like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's right because at the end he goes back into the you know he he just kind of goes off and that's that's when I listen to a singer and say this is a guy who is born to be a performer like as a singer when I used to sing um, I could sing the words to the song but I could never just riff like that I was never comfortable uh, anything that I felt like saying I was like no that's going to sound stupid and I would second guess yeah. myself left and right he just goes for it. You know, mm-hmm. he he just goes off the rail and I love it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it definitely it definitely makes the other parts of the song easier to get through. Uh there there is another nice uh breakdown section in here too, where there's a lot of buzz rolls on this. This is another one with some reverse percussion and some buzz rolls uh in the middle, but there's a, you know, just a nice little part that breaks up the song a little bit. And I, I really enjoy Tony's solos at the end. Uh they they they're in a, a little bit better of a range and I just love his playing. Yeah, Iomi is very like distinctive, 
you know when he's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just um, so it, it's it's kind of a weird like like you listen to the like uh, an album that you know, or maybe this this song let's say this song in particular and be like all right I hear what he's playing and I can appreciate it like you're trying to hear through like the not so great production right and see it for what it is um i i can do that with some musicians um this this uh you know iomi is definitely one of them you know because he's like i said you know when he's playing guitar you know when he's doing a solo Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's just so interesting to hear him play with this sound because it just it it's him but it doesn't sound like him at the same time yeah you know uh, so that brings us to uh, the title track of the album. So I'm going to play the clip of the song, and then I'm going to get into what the deal is with this song. <laughs> first thing that strikes me about this song every time I hear it is the amount of buzz we're hearing in the guitars. I mean, it's it, there's a pretty massive amount of that. And then the snare comes in and the snare is just larger than life in this song. You know, it's a very interesting yeah. mix. Yeah, it's um, I, I think you hit on another word, too. Like uh, when I hear this album, a lot of like feelings come to mind. But uh, I think buzzy is another one, like the buzz of the guitar. It's it's that's like. You know, we're talking about like shrill or buzz or scream. You know, these are all like not <laughs> not great words to like be associated with like anything that's pleasing to the ear. Um, I mean, the the beginning of the song, anyways. I mean, I do like. Um, I, I don't know if that's is that Iomi's guitar and like uh, like him and him and uh, Geezer kind of like because uh, I can hear the bass, mm-hmm. but is that like is that like a like a weird guitar tone? Like I can't really. I can't really tell if it's a guitar, if it's a keyboard, like. I thought it was guitar because the buzz kind of matched it. So, but it could be layered too. I mean, there could be more than one thing happening at at the same time. Uh, It is an interesting sound, but you're right. I mean, those are not really words that you want describing your album. Uh, (laughs) And there's a difference between a distortion and buzz. And I'm definitely hearing uh, some buzz on top of the distortion. It's, It's slightly after too. So there's like a slight delay to it. Um, yeah. But it's just it's just a really weird thing. I do love how patient this song is, you know, for, you know, you're, you're coming off of a couple of heavy songs and then you you have this song that's just really gentle. Uh, it's slower. And you have to love how how just patient Tony is as a guitarist playing the song after you're just playing like, you know, these crazy fast riffs and doing these solos. And and then you're just like, I'm just going to slow this down now, you know. Everybody have a seat. We're going to relax for a little bit and just be able to temper himself. And yeah, I, mean, I don't is, know what this what is these the ballad. In. Yeah, this is definitely the ballad. <laughs> this is the ballad. <laughs> but no, I, I do like that too because it's like even when like Sabbath has a slower song, it's not it's not the love ballad. It's the it's the slower song. Like it still has that that feeling of like impending doom somehow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I mean this is the title track of the album, and it's it's definitely a very powerful song. I mean, don't don't let the uh, the lack of of power uh, get you thinking in the wrong direction because this is a very mm-hmm. powerful song. Gillen really grinds out some vocals in this song. He hits some really interesting pitches in the chorus, but he's he's really singing from his gut on this one. You could just feel you could almost feel him shaking. He's singing so hard. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in parts. Yeah. Like when he's uh, singing born again, mm-hmm. um, and then he, he kind of does like the vocal harmony after that. Like, I mean, it's, it's wild. It's, it's like, this is definitely the highest singing that he's done in a while. And if you really think about it, probably like, you know, some of the most difficult. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Because they're also, they're sustained pieces. They're not just like him doing a quick scream and getting in and out. 
you know, they're, right. they're almost operatic at points yes, in the chorus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so to get to the other weird thing about this song, and there has been, I guess, ever since what, 1983, there has been a little bit of controversy about this. If you look at the back of the album or you look at the credits on the album, Tony Iommi is credited as playing guitar and flute. And for years, I just thought it was a joke. I had no idea. Like, I've never heard a flute. I thought, I know this album backwards and forwards. There's no flute on this album. Turns out there is. And it is in this song. So uh, there are people that are far better at spectral editing than I am. I'm okay at it. Uh, I have done a workup on this song and cleaned up a little part of it. Uh, To give you a reference of what I'm about to play you, it is at the one minute and 19 second mark where we'll hear an example of the flute, but it repeats in uh, these sections as the song repeats uh, during the verses. I don't think there's anything in the chorus at all or anything during the solo. I didn't hear it, Um, but it's very buried in the mix, very much buried. Uh, So to give you the uh, original clip, uh, I will just play, or actually um, to give you an idea of the flute, Again, not the best cleanup job, but it's the best I can do with my spectral editing skills. So it's just two quick bursts. That's it. That's all there is to it. Really quick, in and out, just a couple of little bursts, and that's it. Now, to give you an idea of what that sounds like with a little bit more of the music... So I know it's not the greatest frequency, and I just talked about how I hate flute frequencies, (laughs) but I tried to change the frequency to make it a little less ear piercing, and it just basically buried the flute again. So that might have been part of the problem of why uh, the flute was buried in the mix in the first place. But uh, what I did was I took the song and then I I layered it uh, with this flute. So maybe this will give you a better idea of how it all fits together. Hopefully it's, it's coming out to where you guys can hear it. So I can't now it's ruined the song for me now, because when I listen to it now, I'm like trying so hard to hear all the places the flute comes in. I'm not even listening to the song anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I like when, when you played it, like the, the way that it is, um, that, that you EQ'd it, it doesn't sound great, but I'm like imagining now, like after hearing that I can hear like what it, what it would sound like if it were done correctly. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like I know what the original vision was, but it's just too bad that we can't hear it that way. Right. And another reason so. I'm again, hoping for a, an actual remaster where that can come to surface and we can appreciate how he meant it to sound. Um, right. It's, it's an interesting piece to play uh, just those little bursts. I do think it adds something to it, but I would like to hear it, you know, properly EQ'd and blended in, to where I, I think it's supposed to be subtle. I think it's just supposed to be something you feel more than you hear. But in, in the version that we get on the album, in, in even the remastered version, you can't even feel it because it's just not there. Right. You know, but it, it is, this is one of those little gems that, you know, to be able to uncover. And just so you guys know, there is a video on YouTube where someone who is better at spectral editing than I am uh, actually went in and did it. So if you just search for Born Again Flute, uh, maybe put Black Sabbath in there because if you just type "born again," God knows what you, what kind of results you're going to get. Uh, but uh, yeah, check it out. It's it's really interesting, and that's actually where where my starting point was because I would have never even known what song it was in, let alone where to start cleaning it up or where to look for it had I not watched that right. video. So uh, that was the best I could do with my limited spectral editing skills. Thank you, Isotopes RX, for providing me a a sandbox to play in and and try and do something with it, but at least you get the idea. So is that, is that going to affect you, John, to where you're, you're going to have a hard time hearing the song for a while? Uh, Maybe. I mean, I I feel like I'm going to be looking for it, but not finding it (laughs) in in the regular mix. Um, But I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, this isn't one that I go to a lot to begin with, but it's like, now that I know it's there, I'm going to be seeing if I can hear it. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting challenge uh, for sure. I think part of it is going to be like your mind will play tricks on you and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I heard it. And, and it's not even where it's at, but just because it's exactly. like a similar part or whatever. Uh, so have fun with that. <laughs> so the next song up uh, is one of my favorite, favorite Gillen vocals. Um, I, I think that this is one that uh, maybe about one out of every hundred times I actually used to be able to sing the song because when when I could sing, um, I actually had a pretty decent range and it came from singing vocals from guys like Ian Gillen and David Coverdale and even, you know, like Debbie Gibson and Madonna and, you know, having those different higher uh, ranges to sing in really helped me expand my voice. I can't sing for shit now, but back then uh, there was maybe twice in my life that I thought I sang Child in Time pretty well and maybe two or three times where I think I actually decently nailed Hotline. Um but I mean, out of the hundreds of times I tried to sing those songs, it's not a very good average, but uh, but a powerful vocal nonetheless. And it's it's just another ass kicking song. So let's listen to a little clip of that. I, I just noticed how raspy Ian sounds on this. Yeah. You know, almost like this was like one of the later things that he recorded and his voice was, was starting to, to need a little bit of rest or something. Cause he, he sounds a lot raspier than he does on the rest of the album. Uh, but such a powerful, heavy sound too, on this one. Oh yeah. Now this is the, like the, the riff is very similar to, uh, to, digital bitch mm. um i think but it's more this is more fully realized like this this is definitely like really like a heavy like this song has like a groove to it uh which i that's what i love about it and it's um you know again this is another one that you can kind of you know uh bop your head to but at the same time you're just like man that buzzy ass guitar it's like it's just <laughs> it's very mid-rangey too on, yeah on yeah one. that's the yeah the the whole the whole album is, is like really mid-rangey but i mean this is definitely one of the songs that i enjoy more because it has that groove to it um because then when you know when the drums and everything kick in and then you know and then just geezer starts chugging along on the bass and then you're just like yeah all right i can get into this you know because it's got a groove but it's really heavy yeah now if you were to take the zero the hero guitar sound and put that on this uh, I, again i i have to say that yeah. would definitely take it to another level uh, yeah. I, I've always loved this song and I love the the writing style on this album. There's always a middle section that just completely changes and then they'll go into another part and then back into the song. And then that's usually where the solo is or something. This one's no different. There's a, a really uh, just completely big change in the middle of the song. Got another couple of screams. But Gillen's voice is like, I just feel like he's at the top of his comfortable range through the entire song. Yeah. Yeah, he totally is. Like this is this is like um what I would I consider this one like the um like the 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 rocker of the album. Like everything else had this this weight, you know, this heaviness to it. Mm -hmm. Uh this this kind of like uh you know, we keep using the word like doom. Um and then this is more like the the rock and roll song. Yeah, that's you know, a really good um, good observation. And I I think Tony does a great solo on this one too. It's a little little flashier. Yeah. Uh, for a slower tempo, but I think it really works well. And I always thought that the, 
the the title was interesting too because when I'd heard it, I'm like, oh, a hotline, like these call them like a like a sex hotline or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> so that's what always made it more kind of like rock and rolly to me than like, oh, okay, all the other stuff was like really like, you know, heavy and like, you know, Sabbath doom and everything. And then this one's about calling like a like a hotline. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I always thought it was when I was a kid. So well, you might not be wrong. I, I actually don't know uh the story behind it at all. I've I've never heard anything about it, but uh <laughs> Uh, I I could see even lyrically where that would uh, where that would work, you know, like take me to the climax of, of you know, whatever we're doing. Uh, that's yeah. an interesting point, you know, um, but I, this has always been a favorite for me. I, I just love this from the first yeah. time I heard it. Uh, in fact, I used to do this thing with with songs I really loved and there was only like a couple and then I just stopped doing it because it was obnoxious. But I would take a cassette tape and I would just tape the song and, and record it over and over off the album until I filled up the tape. And then I would flip it over and record a different song that I wanted to hear over and over. And I remember <laughs> I had uh, this was on side A and it was one of those Kmart 60 minute tapes. So it was, I think, the blue and I think the 90 minutes were red. And I just, so I had 30 minutes of Hotline on side A and on side B, I had 30 minutes of Victim of Illusion by Michael Schenker. And so I would just like, I would like ride my bike and have my little, you know, Sony cassette player. And I, that's all I heard for, for 30 minutes was this song and then 30 minutes on of, repeat. Uh, yeah, wow. yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I had a lot of time as a child <laughs> that I don't have nowadays. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a, a favorite of mine. Does it does it rank that that if I remember right, that was a, a higher ranking song for you as well? Yeah, without without having gone back and you know uh, done uh, listening to the the episode that I had previously recorded on or doing any of that leg work, knowing me, I probably gave this a higher rating. Mm-hmm. Um, because on um on our show we have the one to five rating, and I feel like I, I would have given this one like a like a four. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think I think I remember it being a higher ranking because I think the first thing I thought was, yeah, John gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I do. I mean, it's, it's my wheelhouse. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that leads us uh, sadly to the to near the end of the official album here with a song called "Keep It Warm," and uh, some very interesting, as always, interesting lyrics from Ian. So I know that Ian uses a lot of British terminology in, in his lyrics. I I don't know, though, that calling someone that you're interested in a rat is a particularly <laughs> endearing term. <laughs> I mean, we haven't I don't know if we were able to figure it out yet, but I would guess not. <laughs> yeah, it, it does, I, I can't imagine any way, shape or form that that would be like, ah, you call me rat. <laughs> you know. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I like you, you wet thing. I just pulled out of the alley. <laughs> uh, but I love his, his vocal on this again. He's, he's very gritty uh, on, on this song. He's singing with a lot of intensity, but I, I realized something in the intro. Uh, I think Tony double tracks this and I'm starting to think he double tracked a lot of these songs. Yeah, I mean, that would that would make sense to me because that's how you get a heavy guitar sound. Mm-hmm. So uh, or one of the ways rather that, you know, you really beef it up on an album um, it, because it, it, I guess if you listen past like the, you know, again, this is another one just like, you know, in hearing it in the headphones and at full blast, just that, you know, horrible, buzzy tone. Um, but I mean, it's it still sounds big. Yeah. So like I can give that to him. I'm pretty sure I'm hearing two different guitars, one in each ear. 
And that's where I'm I'm coming up with that. But I will say this, if he double tracked these songs, he played with some pretty incredible precision because I'm not hearing one end earlier than the other one. Yeah. I'm hearing some really solid together playing, almost as if they just duplicated the track. But right. it, they sound different to me. So I, I I tend to lean towards the fact that he probably played them twice. You know? Yeah, this is um this is a song too that it sounds like um it sounds like something that would have been on um um uh like uh what do you call it seventh star mm. or um uh what was the one after that with the two statues oh um i can't think of the name of it i know the one oh. you're talking about though yeah how come like i'm drawing a blank I can't, all of a sudden who was the singer on that one tony martin Oh yeah, that was that was the one that Ray Gillen recorded with them, and then they erased his vocals. And mm-hmm. what the heck is it called? That's but anyways, be so great. You know, hey, thanks for letting me record with you guys, and then never letting anyone hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the um, not to get off on a tangent, but there are like I, I think on YouTube there are the original vocals, you know, um, that he recorded for him, and there were a couple of songs I actually prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, you know, I always thought he was a great singer, anyways, but my point is, is that this riff like leading into the song sounds like some of the stuff that Iomi would start writing for his later, like eighties mid to later 80s Sabbath albums. Mm-hmm. So even here you can start to see, see his um, like his style, the way that he was developing his riffs kind of like change from like, uh, because even like when he was uh, like Dio was in the band, like he was still, it still sounded like classic Iomi riffs and everything and these are but these it sounds like he's starting to get updated a little bit you know he's starting to get into like um as much as he could like 80s kind of playing sounds like you know changing like you know the the type of riffs that he was doing you know and it's you know could have been a product of the time or whatever but um that being said I think it's a good thing because you know there are there are a few songs on those later albums that I like so I kind of identify this as the you know one of those uh, styles of songs and and plus this is one where where Gillen's vocals are more um I guess like in in check mm-hmm. you know he's not like he's not like screaming and going all over the place he's just singing like a straight vocal um you know kind of like I guess he would in Gillen or maybe in Deep Purple the, the following year yeah that's a really good point and um I think that there there is a certain this is in a way a transitional album, I think, for them, because it's nothing like the album that came before it. It's not really like what came after it. But I see what you're mm-hmm. saying about that progression and in, in his change in, in writing style as well with this song. I also think that this is the perfect song of all the ones on the album to end the album with. It just ends on a note where you're like, I really enjoyed this album and now I have to hear it again. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, yeah, it's there's, almost, there's, there's some albums, like when you hear them in the last song ends, you're like, okay, I'm glad I listened to that album. I'm good. And there's other ones where you're like, you just feel like I didn't get enough. Right. Right. You know what the, the, the kind of like, um, Oh, eternal idol. That was it. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> um, um, it was, uh, kind of like, uh, that, uh, a little bit of a slower tempo, a uh, song like um, kind of like Our Lady from um, Who Do We Think We Are? Yeah, you know maybe that that kind of song. You know the the um, I don't know that that song where it's just like that the song of finality or I don't know this. It sounds like a final song on an album. Yeah, and and incidentally, that's another one of my favorite songs is Our Lady. I I absolutely love that song, and I remember. Uh, reading an interview with with Ian shortly after he had left the band in the 70s saying, I really wanted to go more in that direction. I thought we did what we could do as hard rock. I wanted to explore songs like Our Lady more. And I, I think that would have been an interesting thing, you know, had they done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, they didn't. So. <laughs> I, it's just, it's so... It's so interesting, you know, because you're like, yeah, we've done everything I can with hard rock. And then 10 years later, he's in the heaviest band on our on Earth, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But I mean, just think of some of the stuff that like uh, that's what just makes this whole thing so interesting is just like think of all the different type of stuff that he did singing on the concerto heavy rock, like and then all the quirky stuff that he did, like uh, in between like um, 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 
Purple and, and Gillen, like his solo stuff. And then like the, the Ian Gillen band was like jazz fusion. And then he like, we got a little more rock and then he was heavy. And it's like, you know, him and all the other musicians associated with him just did so many different styles and they were so creative. It's just what makes them like endlessly interesting to talk about. Yeah, I love that they weren't afraid to do different things instead of just saying we're a hard rock band, so we have to be a hard rock band. And then look at Accidentally on Purpose that he did with Roger Glover. I mean, that is mm-hmm. an 80s album if I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, those are 80s synthesizers to the hilt. The 80s <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't get any more 80s or uh, but, but that's, but, and, and, and thinking about like his origins with, uh, episode six and songs like when I hear the trumpets blow and touring with a, a dusty Springfield, I mean, mm-hmm. just, just the, all the different things that he's done. You're right. I mean, he's been a very versatile musician, but even, um, even Iomi, since we're talking about Sabbath, I mean, look at the way that the the Sabbath albums progressed where they started off the first few albums were very straight ahead. Like, you know, they were like bluesy and then like really bluesy, like kind of like with some, some like, you know, that the minor, you know, chords and stuff thrown in. So it's like, it's, it's kind of dark. And then all of a sudden they, they were experimenting with like, with like orchestration and uh, like uh, these, these, these acoustic pieces that he threw in and keyboards. And then by the time you get to like the last couple of albums with, uh, with Ozzy, they're just like doing like full blown orchestrations and just like really experimental stuff that you would never, you know, think that they would do. So, I mean, even like, you know, Iomi and, and the Sabbath guys have gone all over the map with, um, you know, and I think that's not like what a lot of people realize when they, you know, they just hear the popular stuff um, uh, from a band like uh, it makes me think of another one, not to get too far off on a tangent was like Van Halen, which I had only heard their popular stuff. And then there was one point where I was like, I went to listen to all of their albums, like all the way through, because I never did. And I didn't realize there was so much like just avant-garde weird stuff on those albums, if you've um, if you've ever heard them. But I'm like, there's a lot more weird shit in here than I remember, like, you know, or that, um, not that I would remember that I would have thought, you know, because all you do is you hear the stuff on the radio and it's like, well, of course, all this stuff you don't hear on the radio because it's all this weird, like, you know, um, like interludes and stuff like that, you know, creative stuff that they were probably doing. Yeah. You're never going to hear Stonehenge on the radio or you're never going to hear, you know, the dark, <laughs> the, the most you're going to hear of the dark is just the fade up into zero, the hero. Cause they did a radio edit of it where it's like just right. the tail end of it right into zero, the hero. And it almost makes no sense because if you only know the radio version and you don't know what comes before it, it's just this weird little sound at the beginning of the song that it just really is out of place. Uh, yeah. But that's true. I mean, I think a lot of the bands, especially bands that started in the 70s, that did ride through all the different times in music, whether it be disco or the 80s and the synthesizers and, you know, they're trying to keep up their music, but also they're they're being influenced by these things as well. So I like that these bands were not afraid to try different things. And, you know, maybe it was like, well, we need to fit with the time, so let's do this. And maybe it was just the natural hey, I got a synthesizer because I thought we could add it to this one song. And then during rehearsal, they're like, hey, why don't you put a little bit of synthesizer on this other song? And, you know, the next thing you know, you've got something that develops and it's changed the sound of the band. Uh, I I think there was a lot of need for identity in the 80s for the 70s bands because music had changed so much in the mainstream Mm -hmm. that they kind of didn't really know what to do. And, right. you know, like Uriah Heep went very much into the 80s sounds, very synthesized, um, really straightforward, dry sounding pop almost. And then you've got Sabbath, which is experimenting with different stuff. Um, bands doing a lot of solo projects to see what what works or just getting away from their thing to do something else. Um, because mm-hmm. I think the 80s opened up a lot of room to to have different kinds of things out there. You know, Neil Sean did his thing with Jan Hammer. Uh, getting away from Journey to do, you know, a solo album. That was completely different stuff. So -hmm. I think there was a lot of experiment in in that time too, which was great because we got a lot of albums that would have never happened any other time like this one. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think it's great that they were willing to put it out there for us to, to listen to, because they could have just recorded stuff and said, nah, I'm not putting that out there. (laughs) But when you've got people who have invested in it, you know, you've got a record company backing you, it's going out. Something's Mm -hmm. going out, whether you want to rewrite it or not, you have time to do that. 
something is getting released because they paid for all of it to come together. Yeah. You know, it's not like now where you can just write anything you want and decide to release it or not release it because most people don't have record companies backing them anymore. Yeah, exactly. You just upload it and hope you, you know, uh, you get a following. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. Kind of, you know, yeah. Kind of like we did with our show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I do have uh, one bonus track uh, to play of this. And this was, uh, this came out on a deluxe double CD with a bunch of live material, but this was the only other studio track that was on it. And maybe this will get a proper release. I, I, I'll i just preface this by saying I understand why this wasn't on the album. And it is called The Fallen. To me, it sounds a lot more like an Ian Gillen song. Than I was just going to say, it, it does. I would, that, that was the first thing that came to mind was it sounds like a Gillen song. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. I mean, you could hear you could hear the sound. It's like, okay, that's that born again sound a little bit, but it's like it didn't fit. So yeah, that's definitely <laughs> better was left off. I never heard that one before. Yeah, it, it, it's it was the one song that sounded like it was recorded in a studio as a pair as, as opposed to a cave, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that it was a really progressive uh, riff, which I don't think fit the rest of the album. I mean, it's not that the album isn't yeah. progressive, but this was a, a, just just too far across the street uh, to really fit in. And then that yeah. opening guitar riff, I almost thought sounded more like something Jimmy Page would have done on an acoustic. Uh, you know, until it got into the heavier part. It, it's a really weird, yeah. uh, it's it's cool. It's it's a nice different song, but I definitely see why this wasn't on the album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would have, uh, interesting that, um, interesting to, to listen to, but definitely wouldn't have fit in with this group of songs. Like sometimes you'll hear a demo or like a B-side or something and be like, ah, oh, they, they, why did they leave that off? And it's this, should have been left off. I'm glad they did. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they did. It's it's the only it doesn't sound it doesn't have that doom and gloom feel to it like every other thing. I mean, even Keep It Warm has a little bit of that darkness in it. Yeah. You know, whereas this is just kind of like, all right, you know what? Hey guys, let's sit down and write a song. It just right. it just feels too happy, you know. It, it's aggressive, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't have that dark brooding feel to it whatsoever. Uh, yeah. but, it, but it's, it's nice to hear what else they created and where they could have gone, or maybe had they done another album, uh, might've gone more in that direction. It's hard to say, but I, I see this being like a Gillen band recording more so than anything else. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I've had a great time covering this album. It's really, you know, I, I love that. Like when you and Nate talk about things, you guys have your way in the things that you look at. But then like when Nate's on the show uh, with me, he and I look at things differently and you and I look at things differently. Like it's nice to see different perspectives and and approach it from a different angle too. Yeah, definitely. I think um, uh, I'd be just interested to like uh, to, to know if anybody had like um, had heard the, the show that we did on it, like, uh, or even if I listened to this and then listened back to the other show, like, how uh, how if my opinions had changed or if I had said the same things about some of these songs are different because I, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> right. Well, that's the beautiful but, thing about music is that, you know, on any given day, any song can strike you anyway. Yeah. Like I can I can really love Hotline one day and then the next day be like, I don't feel like listening to that song right now. You know, my mood yeah. is different or I just heard it yesterday. I don't need to hear it again today or whatever it is. Or I could have a day where as soon as it's done, I'm just like, I got to hear that again. It was so good. I just got to hear it again. Right. Uh, but objectively, I know 
just like when you were saying before, like, I know this is one of your favorite songs, whether I'm in the mood for it or not, I'll tell you, like, this is, you know, was probably one of my top songs on the album mm-hmm. uh, when, when we were doing ratings for it. But um, I know that across the board, I thought that the, 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 the buzzy sound was not, um, not a favorite. <laughs> you know, and, and what's really weird is there are some albums where if they're not uh, EQ'd well or mixed well, I, I just can't listen to them. Like, I, I love And Justice for All by Metallica. It is a fantastic album. The performances, the writing, it's amazing. But that paper snare drum, the the bass coming in and out, it just drives me nuts as an audio engineer. Mm. And I, I actually like once a year or so I'll get out that album and try to listen to it and, and I'll get halfway through maybe black and then I'm like, the bass is just driving me nuts. It's just up and down. And I can't stand it. So now I just listen to that Jason Newstead mix that somebody put up on YouTube because yeah. that's actually, yep. they leveled it out pretty well. I mean, they, they still need to fix the drums as far as I'm concerned, but uh, it, it's a much better sounding album to me now and I can listen to it. This, I guess, because... I didn't know better and I just kind of accepted at face value of this is the way the album sounds like in rock sounds like in rock sounds fireball sounds like fireball sounds. This is the way born again sounds. I've just been able to accept it because it's not so far off the mark that it's imbalanced. Whereas I feel and justice for all is just up and down in balance and it's hard. It's too much of a roller coaster from an audio perspective for me to be able to enjoy it. Whereas this one it's it's a a consistent sound, so I can say this right. is the ride. I know what I'm getting into from beginning to end. Yeah, there are there are albums that are very um, um, there there are uh, a topic of controversy with um, uh, like that with any fan base. Um, another one which is is kind of funny because um, uh, I had heard this comparison uh, the other day, and um, you know, forgive me, I forget where it was. Um, and I thought it was uh, interesting to uh, because it was relating to the to this album was is that um, uh, Kiss's second album, Hotter Than Hell, is very similar sonically to this album. Is that they both sound very sludgy, really? which I think is a is a yeah, which which is funny because that's the album that came before the one Dressed to Kill, which you and I reviewed together and was mm-hmm. very bright and poppy, um, but. The thing is, is that like that album has the same kind of background as this one is, is that nobody's really sure where the master tapes are. It could get it could get remastered, but never remixed. And we have to just accept the album for the way it is. But it also like lends this kind of like really like heavy, almost like doom laden sound over early kiss which is like what they were at the time which was like really just kind of like you know black leather and dangerous and a a street band before they you know kind of um you know got a little more flashy and um you know mainstream i guess but um but i i just thought it was really good timing that i heard that comparison somewhere and i'm like huh i never thought of that and um you know like you said injustice for all is another one um, I'm sure that there were other albums I'm not like can't remember where like the the production or the sound of something, you know, is a real big kind of like controversy amongst fans. Like if, if only we could get a new mix, if only it could be changed. And, right. you know, and it's it's kind of like it's interesting and fun to to think about and debate those type of things just as a music fan. Yeah. And I think with this one, as we talked about with like the ride symbol and the flute, I mean, I I would be more curious to just hear what what else is buried in the mix that I'm not aware of than and what the performances really were as opposed to what I think they were. Um, Because I I do find I can listen to this album and I've, I've heard this album so many times, you know, if I, if I had only listened to it on vinyl, I would have worn a hole right through it, you know, in several spots, you know, Uh, this is probably one of the most listened to albums in my collection. Well, I I think that's where, I think that's where we differ a little bit. I like the album, but I I guess I don't, I don't love it as much as you did. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I mean, I listened to it, but not that much. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh, You enjoy it. And that's, that's, you know, for me, that just makes me happy because it's, I think it's a great album. I think it, it, unfortunately, because of the mix and the controversy over it, a lot of people didn't really give it a chance. And I think that's a shame. Like it's, it's like, if you have a preconceived notion that, a room that you go into is going to smell bad, whether it really would smell bad to you or not. Just walking into that room, you're already braced for it in your mind. It's a done deal. 
and you're not going to enjoy walking into that room because you're you you know it's going to be an unpleasant experience. So I think it's the same thing with like a movie. If if like one somebody that you really trust, somebody who knows your taste says, "John, I know you really want to see this movie, but I don't. I it sucked. I don't think you're going to like it. Save your twenty bucks. You know, uh, go go to Redbox or whatever." Uh, you're probably going to, if you do choose to see the movie, just because you're so curious about it, you're already walking in with that trusted notion of this isn't very good. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's harder for you to enjoy it just because you're just waiting for it to be bad. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's one way, I guess, to to look at it. Like, I mean, um, I, I mean, I've always been the type of person where it's like, you know, people tell me, well, something like that. And I've always been stubborn and I'm like, well, I'm just going to make up my own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but I mean, I still feel that no matter who you are, like if you get, you know, if you if your lens is colored by somebody else telling you that stuff ahead of time, then you can't help but think it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess I, I consciously try to never write anything off without giving it a chance. And um, and and sometimes I disagree and sometimes I'm like, OK, that criticism was earned or was deserved but i'm wondering if we had never like if there were never any discussions like if we had never heard any discussions about the production of this album like would that have been it always the main topic of conversation about because anytime you hear anybody talk about this album like what would have been a, a more challenging episode to do was to talk about this album without mentioning the production <laughs> right, <laughs> that, yeah you know that would have yeah. been an original take right there but mm-hmm. um but I mean, like, would we have talked about it? And I mean, I guess that we would have because um, just because what I said to you earlier is, is that I always knew that this album sound like had a sound to it or it sounded different or or weird or off or whatever it was. And I never could put my finger on it until uh, the Internet, you know, opened up like, you know, the the. Um, the flooding in of so many opinions and, you know, different things, uh, you know, modes of information and everything. And then it's just like, Oh, that's why it sounded that way. But do I think that it sounds crappy because everybody else says it was, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'd like to think I don't, but I mean, it's just like when you, when you hear some of those, like really like uh, just harsh tones, it's like uh, you, you can't argue that like, it's not pleasant. Yeah, just objectively, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on those parts. I think overall, um, I don't think the album sounds bad. I just think it could sound different. I think it, yeah. it could have more clarity. It could have more low end. It could be beefier. Uh, it could it could take a song like Zero the Hero and just make it even heavier than it is. Um, but I I don't find the album so displeasing that I can't mm-hmm. listen to it. I guess that's the oh, difference absolutely. for me, you know. Um, whereas, like I said, an album like Injustice for All, I, I would say if there if there was a perfectly mixed heavy rock album, I would have to say Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche would probably be one of the best mixed albums I've ever heard. You mm-hmm. know, and if that would be to to become the gold standard, you know, this this would dull in comparison. <laughs> but but as it is, and and like I said, part of it is that nostalgia thing. It's like this is the album I've always known since I was very young. Uh, I've heard it a lot of times. So to me, it's just this is the character of the album, just like Machine Head has that really weird just sheen over it that that has just makes it sound a little more mellow than heavy to me. Or in rock yeah. has that raw sound to it, whereas Fireball sounds really refined. You know, right. it's, it's just a huge contrast. But but I mean, Mob Rules has like that combination of it sounds like it was recorded in a studio, but it also sounds kind of raw at the same time as rock and roll should, you know, it really works for that album. And we're going to get to that one down the road. I can't wait to do that one with you as well. Cause that is another Mm. just fantastic album. Yeah. That's another one. I haven't uh, gone back and revisited in a while either. Um, I I think you like you, you've come up with a couple of good like uh, words throughout the the episode here. And that was the character of the album. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a great way to describe like, a style of an album, the way that it, it came out, like whether, you know, they, they meant it to or not, like the way it was produced, like the Sonics, the, the way it was engineered. This is like the, the, the character of the album, like whether it's like really poppy or whether it's really, uh, you know, just um, unpleasant or, you know, whatever it is, but, um, but yeah, but don't, um, you know, I, I, um, I, you know, I definitely don't want it to sound like I don't like this album. Like, I mean, um, 
uh, or or think that it's unpleasant to listen to. Like I, I agree with you, is is that I think it could be improved on, or it could sound different. Like I, I would love a side by side to have. It's it's kind of like the uh, the um, the White Snake uh, slided in the the UK version and the US version, which is the closest thing that I can think of because I love listening to those two. Because some days I I want to hear the UK version, some days I want to hear the US version, the the more slick one, and you know the. Some days I want to hear the more raw one, you know, that was more like original white steak. So it's like, that would be really neat to have that for like, oh, I want to hear the the updated born again, right, <laughs> where I yeah. can hear the flute. <laughs> right. Well, I think, I think for me too, is I want to be able to appreciate all the nuances in the performance because you've got right. fantastic musicians and you know what they're doing is great stuff. But if there's more great stuff in there, I want to be able to appreciate all the stuff that they did. Right. You know? Yeah, no, that's that's a great point too. Like that's that's one of the reasons that you would want a remixing of it is so you can hear all of this brilliance and the way that it was meant to be heard. Exactly. Cuz you're not talking about a bunch of slouches here. So No, not at all. You're talking about some really great musicians here. Yeah. Uh well, John, thank you so much for for coming on and reviewing this one. I I know we've got a bunch lined out that we're going to be doing over the next couple of years, so I'm I'm yeah. already looking forward to whichever one we do next, but it's always a Me joy too. to have you on the show. You guys check out the Deep Purple podcast. Like I said, I've got the link for the Bordigan episode uh in the show notes. But take once you take that link and you listen to that episode, go back and listen to all the other episodes. You guys are, what, over 135 shows now, somewhere around there? Um, yeah, I think um, let me let me take a, let me take a quick peek over here. Um, and we are we're recording um, in uh, tomorrow. We are recording uh, episode 162. Oh, wow. That's where we're up to. Wow. Yeah, it's been three yeah. years, not one missed week. In three no, years. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I have to say, I I was very consistent with the Uriah Heat podcast, with this podcast uh, in, in the first couple years or, or first few years of its existence. I would, mm-hmm. you know, if I was really busy with the production, didn't have time to arrange a guest or whatever, because I wasn't doing album reviews then, I would take a week off or two weeks off to finish a production. But the last year or so... Uh, there's been pretty consistent episodes and that's really important for people that are fans of the show and what you guys deliver every week. I, there has not been a show where I've been like, eh, I mean, every one of them <laughs> has just been a highly enjoyable show. So thanks to you guys you. for, for all that you do uh, for deep purple and for us as fans. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful show. So go check it out people. And thank you, John. Well, thank you. It's always a, always a pleasure and a lot of fun to come on. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, we'll see you again. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves, guys. We'll see you next week with another album review or interview or God knows what's coming up next. Cheers. Cheers.